0: welcome to Check Us Out, the podcast of the Montclair Public Library. I'm Peter Coyle, the director of the library. We're really glad you're listening to our podcast today. Even though we're still close to the public, you can use your library card to stream and download content and resources from our newly redesigned website, MontclairLibrary.org. If you don't have a library card, contact us from the website and we can get you set up right away. In today's episode of our podcast, Maurice is going to talk to you about four upcoming programs that are being offered by the adult school online in our GoToWebinar platform. Then Molly is going to share some information with you about our Unbook Club. It's a book club that happens on Instagram Live every Friday, where some of our staff talk about books. Molly will also tell you how you can use your library card to access Consumer Reports for free using the Montclair Public Library website. Then, Ken's gonna talk about some books that are being released in June and are available on Overdrive. And Kirsten's gonna talk about books that are in honor of Pride Month that are also available on Overdrive. Then, Ariel is gonna interview local author, Nancy Starr about her new book, Rules for Moving. We have a great program today and we hope you'll enjoy.
1: Hello everybody, welcome again. I am Maurice from the Adult School Department.
2: And I'm Molly from the Adult Services Department.
1: We're here to discuss some wonderful programs we'll be offering in June, most of them virtual, as we value the safety and health of Montclair and the surrounding community. And I can start, I guess, with the adult school. Uh, We have two fantastic free learning opportunities. Over the past, I would say, maybe two years or so, we've uh, been able to develop a really great relationship with the Montclair Culinary Academy. And as part of that partnership, they've been generous enough to offer a free cooking lesson in June. Chef Karen Fisher, the uh, founder of the uh, Michael Culinary Academy, will be leading the class in an introduction to Northern Italian cooking. Gnocchi? Am I saying it right? You know, is that gnocchi? I think it's sure gnocchi. Right. Is that how you say it? Gnocchi. Gnocchi.
2: Gnocchi. No, it's like yeah. <laughs> yeah. gnocchi.
1: Gnocchi. <laughs> gnocchi. 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 Yeah. gnocchi. I think
2: so. I, I could be completely wrong. <laughs> That's what That's I think it right. is
1: yeah yeah but it looks delicious it looks very delicious you know so this should be a fun time for the whole family she's offering it free this is you know a very rare instance, a rare, rare instance of her offering free class if anyone's taken her class knows that she has takes a lot of great care with her ingredients with food preparation and this is a lesson for the entire family you know so the class is on thursday june 11th at 4 30 p.m on our go to webinar platform so all who are interested should should you know go to our website, org and register. Or on that day you can bring your whole family around the kitchen, around the computer, and you know, lot your ingredients, have a good time, have a fun evening, and uh have your dinner. Great dinner, it's
2: fun, I might go Great too.
1: Dinner. Also, 2020 is the 125th anniversary of the Essex County Park System. So in recognition, we'll be doing the birth of Essex County Parks. With Kathy Call, who's an archivist for Essex County Parks, And we're going to um, go through the entire history of the Essex County Parks Park System, from their early request, I believe that was the eighteen hundreds, to Frederick Law Olmstead to actually come up with a plan for a, a county park, sort the first established, I believe, the first county parks, I believe, in, in the country possibly. I believe. So we're going to recognize uh, that history of the parks. This will be on Tuesday, June sixteenth, at eleven a.m also on our go-to webinar platform. It should be a fun and affordable time. It's going to be not just history but also um, some fun ways you can enjoy the park now. As you look towards the summer and you know getting out from under a little bit of the quarantine this will be a good opportunity to you know explore go out and explore um, a local our local parks a little bit more a local green space a little bit more without having to travel. Also we have a few paid courses as well to look out for one particularly timely. How to Serve an Immune Supporting Plate with Health Coach Mary Ellen Zung. That's on Thursday, June 4th at 3.30 p.m. And in recognition of Flag Day, which is coming up um, soon in month of June, we'll be um, honoring Norman Rockwell with uh, a lecture from our our art educator, Janet Mandel. That will be on Friday, June 12th at 11 a.m. Um, you can check the library's home page, Montclair or the adult school page, adult school.org.
2: Um, the adult services department does not have much on the calendar yet for mid to late June and beyond. Um, but definitely check back on our website, montclairlibrary.org, to see if we do schedule some things. We're sort of playing things by ear right now as we await the word on when we can eventually reopen. So, um, But we do have our, our unbook club scheduled every Friday at four on Instagram Live for the foreseeable future. It's a fun discussion between usually librarians, Jill and Alex, sometimes other people, um, just about what they're reading and watching right now on the library, various library platforms. If you think you've read and watched everything, um, you probably haven't, and um, they, they have some really good recommendations, and I've, I've been exposed to some new, like, genres and authors and titles and things from, from watching the program every week. It's pretty pretty good, and that's on Instagram Live, and I'm going to pivot, as they say, over to another service that you get with your library card that you might not know about. The library has a subscription to Consumer Reports. It's Exactly. Like if you had a magazine subscription, you could go online and see all the ratings and all that really good information that they have. But if you do it through the library with your Montclair library card, it's totally free. You don't have to have a magazine subscription to use it. And um, I mean, we all kind of know what Consumer Reports is right now. It's really like a. I guess I don't have to explain it too much, but. Um, You know, if you're trying to make an informed decision about any kind of purchase, really, but especially some of these big purchases like cars and appliances and things, they do an amazing job of really thoroughly reviewing and rating the products. And I highly recommend using it, especially for free with your library card. It's really one of my favorite things that we offer because I think it really helps. It's very helpful to the community to be able to give you all, um, you know, reliable information to be an informed consumer. You just have to go to our website and um, instead of trying to describe it, I'll just put the link in the description when this is posted, but check it out. Give us a, an email or um, open a chat. If you have any questions, as always, we want you to use what we offer. So don't hesitate to reach out if you have any issues with it or questions.
1: Yeah. Consumer Reports has been a very valuable asset to me, actually for the past couple of years. I mean, I was, I, was, I purchased a car about two years ago and I was, you know, all over some reports checking you know safety nice. and mileage and everything and helped me sell the car that i got you know actually i also went to consumer report for information about trim services as well as even stuff like you know vacuum cleaners for <laughs> oh, <laughs> okay. cleaner my apartment you know and i'm looking yeah. for the best you know value stick vacuum. and um yeah going through consumer reports you know very thorough but now it's really helped me with that person or several others, you know, recent years. that's a very valuable resource, having free access to, uh, to reports.
2: Yeah, I think it's great. I mean, I'm a person who kind of, like, panic shops and just, like, I'll just buy, like, the first thing that's, like, kind of reasonably priced. But I'm trying to be more, like, um, intentional and actually research better so I can buy something that actually maybe, I don't know, lasts a while and <laughs> serves me well and is worth the money. So I hope you all get some good use out of it. All right. Well, I guess we'll sign off. Thank you for listening. Have a great day. <laughs>
3: <Stay> <laughs> I never know how to
2: healthy. end
1: this. As we're, you know, opening up over the summer. Remember to stay
3: healthy and stay safe. And look out for one another.
2: good advice. All right.
3: Hi, this is Ken and I'm here with my new book recommendations for June. First off, we have the return of Max Brooks. You might remember he wrote the bestseller World War Z several years ago, which was a favorite of mine, especially the audiobook, which I highly recommend. It's a full cast audiobook and a lot of famous actors and personalities do the voices in the fictional oral history of the zombie war. His new book is called Devolution, and it is about a community in the Pacific Northwest that is cut off from civilization after there's a a volcano eruption and they find themselves stranded and not able to communicate with the outside world and end up getting into an altercation with a Sasquatch. And the book is told in the form of a journal of one of the people in the town and how they overcome their attack by Bigfoot. It sounds like a good follow-up to World War Z. Next is a book by a man named Gene Wolfe, which is called Interlibrary Loan. And this is not a story about what happens behind the scenes in libraries when we're trying to get books for our patrons. It's in fact a science fiction novel. Takes place in the future where people can borrow historical figures and fictional characters who come to life for them and then can get sent to their local library where they can borrow them and so the main character is someone who has been conjured up by this and he is a a 19th century mystery writer and he winds up in this small community where he has to deal with what is happening and there's apparently a mystery that he has to solve and the book sounds very interesting because not only is it, does it sound like a good story, but also deals with what it means to be alive. I mean, is he, is he a real person as he's solving this crime and as he's a part of this community? Anyway, it sounds like a, something right up my alley. The third book on my list this month is uh, by a favorite of a lot of our patrons, Beatrice Williams. Uh, her new book is called Her Last Flight and it is inspired by the famous disappearance of Amelia Earhart. Um, it is fictionalized, though, Earhart herself is not a character. The main character is a journalist who is writing a biography of an airman, a famous you know, avia- aviation, hero who, is, who was killed in the Spanish Civil War, and she finds this woman in Hawaii who bears a strong resemblance to a famous woman aviator, aviator who, um, who had disappeared in 1937. The book takes place in 1947. And as she delves deeper into the story, starts to become more and more convinced that she is the famous aviator not, I mean, not named Amelia Earhart in the book, but basically we all know that's who it is. The fourth book is about another woman hero whose story has been fictionalized is Nancy Wake. She was a New Zealand native who married a Frenchman and was in Marseille with her husband when the war broke out and when the Germans defeated France and occupied the country. Her husband was arrested She managed to make it to England where she was trained and later parachuted back into France to work with the French resistance and became very notorious among the Nazis who were hunting her and trying to stop her actions behind the scenes. Anyway, her story has been turned into a novel called Liberation by Imogen Keeley. And knowing just even a bit of her story, it's I can't think that this book will be anything but a page-turner, and I love World War II thrillers, so I think I'm really going to enjoy this one. Next is a new novel by a favorite writer of mine, Roddy Doyle, the Irish novelist who's probably still best known for his first novel, The Commitments, which was made into a hit movie. His new novel is simply called Love, and... It is about two old friends who haven't seen each other in a while, who get back together to spend a night at the local pub. And over the course of many pints of Guinness, go over their their lives and their accomplishments and their regrets. And both of them at different times had been enamored of the same woman, and she comes back into the picture. It sounds like a very small but moving story about friendship and love. I've always liked Roddy Doyle's work, so I'm looking forward to this one. And last, usually in these podcasts, I'm talking about books that have not come out yet. So I am only looking at books that look interesting to me, but do not, I've not yet read. However, I was lucky enough to get a free advanced reading copy of shortly before the library closed and and recently read it. It's called Conventionally Yours by Annabeth Albert. And it is about two young men in their twenties who are both part of the same gaming community and start off the book as sort of not quite enemies, but certainly rivals. Don't particularly like each other, yet they find themselves stuck on a cross-country road trip on the way to a gaming convention. And over the course of their trip, and of course over the course of the novel, they wind up learning more about each other and learning that each of them has something buried inside them that they've kept from the world. And as they become closer and and learn more about each other, they wind up becoming a couple. And and it's just a wonderful look again at friendship and love and how people once they open up to each other can be can become closer. And it's just a it really was a heartwarming book, and it's uh, it was a great read, and I enjoyed it very much. So anyway, that's all I have for June. Hope you were all well and have plenty of time for reading. Take care.
4: Hello, all. This is teen services librarian Kirsten. I'd like to share some new releases available on Overdrive with you in both e- and e-audiobook format. In honor of Pride Month, i selected an assortment of new novels that explore LGBTQIA plus identities and experiences. First up, we have Stay Gold by Tolby McSmith, Main character Pony, a young transgender man, transfers to a new high school in Texas during his senior year. He quickly meets and forms a connection with Georgia, a cisgender young woman on the cheerleading squad. Though both teens had planned to simply get through senior year without complications and move on to the next phase of their lives, their attraction to each other is undeniable. The story follows their relationship and explores themes of gender identity, transphobia, and social justice, while also frequently referencing S.E. Hinton's The Outsiders, from which the book draws its name. This is an own voices novel and definitely one to check out. Next we have Felix Ever After by Lambda and Stonewall award winning author Kacen Callender. Felix is a queer transgender black teenager who faces bullying at school. When he decides to get revenge through an online catfishing scheme, he unexpectedly lands in something resembling a love triangle. This book unflinchingly portrays the bullying that Felix faces, which is painful to read, but ultimately it's a triumphant story. And the main character is supported by a diverse, richly written group of friends. The Black Flamingo is our next novel by Dean Atta, which is also an own voices story, um, as is Felix Ever After. And it follows the tale of Michael, a British teen of Greek Cypriot and Jamaican descent. This story and verse serves as a coming age of age tale spanning from Michael's early childhood to his teen years where he joins a group called the Drag Society and creates his own drag alter ego, the titular Black Flamingo, while also exploring his first romance and his relationship with his single mother. Finally, we have Date Me Bryson Keller, Bryson must go on a date with the first person to ask him out on a Monday morning each week as the result of a dare. The catch is the relationship can only last until Friday of the same week. Though Bryson has never dated men before, his classmate and the book's narrator, Kai, decides to take a chance and asks him out. Throughout the course of their week of dating, the relationship begins to feel less like a dare and more like something real. This sweet, fun romance is perfect for fans of Jenny Han, and manages to tackle some deeper themes of religious faith and homophobia while also having lots of fun romantic comedy moments. I hope you check out some of these or more available in Overdrive, both E and E-Audio. And have a great month, bye.
5: Hi, Nancy.
6: Hi, um, Arielle.
5: I'm talking to Nancy Starr, who is the author of the new book, Rules for Moving which is a literary novel about an advice columnist who has family problems of her own and how she comes to terms with them in her own way. Nancy, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Ariel. I'm really glad to be here. So our first question is usually, when and why did you move to Montclair?
6: Well, I moved to Montclair in, I think it was 1992, so that's a long time ago, and I moved all the way from Glen Ridge. My husband and I had moved to Glen Ridge because we bought his boss's house when they were leaving Glen Ridge, and we used to go there in the summers. We we lived in Queens, like the fresh air kids for adults, and when they were selling their <laughs> Glen Ridge house, they said, do you want to buy our house? And we're like, uh, well, we wanted to buy a house, but what? Okay, and we did. And um when we had our kids, we just a little by little decided that Montclair felt like a better fit for us. So we moved when my older kid was five and younger was one and a half. And they're all grown now.
5: Aha. Okay. Well, those are good reasons to move to Montclair. I really <laughs> at that. Do you have a favorite restaurant here? And if so, do you have a favorite dish at that restaurant? Oh, well, let's see. I'm going to answer that in two
6: different ways. Because the place that I, my favorite go-to place that you would have often found me at back when places were open is the Bluestone, which Mm -hmm. is kind of like a little writer's cafeteria after you spend a long morning at work. You know that, right? Mm. Oh, I love Bluestone. Yeah, I love it so much. But when you ask me about my favorite dish, that makes me think of the turtle and the wolf and their incredible fried chicken that you have to order two days in advance, which is so good. Uh, I think I might, I'm thinking about that now because, of course, yeah, that might be where to go when places open. And I love that place also because I think it's all Montclair. You know, kids grew up and it's, you know, a
5: homegrown place. I'm not sure that the Turtle and the Wolf is still open, but yeah, I, where have you been ordering in during, uh, have you been ordering in at all? We haven't been, so I've been really busy working,
6: uh, preparing for the book launch and all that, and my husband has been really busy cooking, and and then we both get together and try to figure out how to source food and all that, which is getting easier and easier, but we really were just talking about how maybe it's time to
5: get some takeout. We haven't been. Surprising. We were big takeout eaters. I want to say I just looked it up online, and Turtle and the Wolf is open. Okay, So (laughs) I'm going to get that fried chicken. (laughs) What's your favorite way to use the library? Well, I
6: have used the library as uh, just taking out books. Of course, I've used the library going to events and both people I know and people I've never even heard of. I've used the library as a place to work if there are too many people in the house and I really grew up, the library in Queens was was the place that my mother would take me to all the time. It was where I could be alone because she would be in a different part of the library and feel safe. And mm-hmm. I remember growing up, I remember a particular day when I was really sad. And what I did was I went to the library to be sad there. So it's a place that has been like a second home. And uh, recently, I guess in January, I had the pleasure of taking my grandson, who's was a little over two then to the children's room in the library, which really got me all choked up because of all the memories I had of taking my own kids there. So
5: mm. love the library. And are you using the library now during, uh, during the pandemic? Are you checking out our virtual offerings? I think that tonight I'm going to check out a virtual offering
6: and have fried chicken dinner. <laughs> no, I, I mean, when you ask these questions, it makes me realize how much I've kind of tunneled in. And part of that is what happens when you have a book coming out and you really just have to concentrate really hard on, your, on, on the work in the moment and also just a byproduct of just having shut down to, to stay safe.
5: Yes, I totally get that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do have um, books that you can download and movies that you can download um, as well as programs that are online. Um, so check it out if you get it. Yeah, a- I'm going to. Absolutely. I have my whole night planned, fried chicken, (laughs) downloading a book and watching, I don't know, a movie that I'm going to take out of the library. (laughs) Do you have a favorite book, a book that's had the most impact on you?
6: Well, if I'm going to, if I think about the book that's had the most impact on me, that's a kind of a really big question. But I was thinking about that lately as other people have asked me that. And, you know, my, I go through, like, remembering early books that were important to me, which are, were all books that had Nancy as a character or, or in the title. Like, that's how it started out, like Nurse Nancy oh, and then Nancy Drew. And I then I they had this realization that I was responding to the very same thing that I respond to now, which is feeling like the author knows me and can be in my head. And, and uh, that's really, it's, it's really funny to think about that. But probably the book that had the biggest impact on me was... Uh, Catch twenty two, which I read, um, I've read many times, but I read in high school, and the idea that somebody could write about war, and write a book that was hilariously funny, kind of changed my whole idea of what writing could be, and um, I, that really was the most impactful book I've ever read,
5: and that for that reason. Mm-hmm and And this is a time when you know we feel in many ways many of us feel under siege, so mm-hmm. that's kind of appropriate, yeah, was there a book that had an impact on your writing your own book on the book that i on rules for moving Yes, you
6: mean yeah well there are a, there are a lot of books that I'm drawn to that are similar in kind in that they're about families, the dynamics in families, the ways that people uh, change roles in families or create myths in families. So I'm reading one right now, which is Dutch House. I'm just halfway through. Mm-hmm. I love it. Passion, yeah, right. I just love her so much. And um, Elizabeth Stroud, I have that same feeling about. And I'm sure most people have read by now mm-hmm. all of Kittredge. But the book, one of my favorites of her books
5: is The Burgess Boys. Have you read that? I haven't. I just, recently read um, both of the Olive Kittredge books. Yeah. And I, love I, I had not read the first one, Olive, Olive Kittredge. Uh-huh. And I read it in preparation for the second and loved it. Yeah. She's so and, good. And so you think The Burgess Boys? Yes. It's, it's just... It's, I mean, I love all her novels, believe me, but
6: The Burgess Boys is a particular kind of a family story with a secret at its, family secret at its center. And I, I just, I have read that book maybe three times. I really love it. So I recommend it. Also, Anything is Possible, Lucy Barton. We could, we could go on. Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> and but, I also loved uh, uh, Anne Napolitano's book, Dear Edward. Have you read that one yet? I haven't. Oh, well, so you're giving
5: good. me your. You're adding <laughs> to that really teeteringly tall yeah. pile. Yes, of course. Well, tell me a little bit about rules
6: for moving. So, rules for moving. You, you described it very well as about an, a, a beloved advice columnist who is really kind of an odd duck in her in her real life, and that's what her readers don't know. They just assume that she is walks through life as confidently as she gives advice. And I mean, there were a lot of things that went into writing the book or that I was thinking about. And I, I always do write out of curiosity, something Mm. that I observed or felt that I just kind of was curious about why that is. And uh, one of the things that I was curious about for a really long time was the idea of our public face versus our private self Mm. and how there can be a disconnect And just, I mean, I'll tell you just very briefly, my first job was in publishing. I was a publicity clerk. And my first friend was the managing editor at this company. And I was maybe 22. And she was much older, like 25. Mm
0: -hmm. And
6: she she had a great job. I didn't really know what it was. She was married, which was crazy. And She had a really sunny personality and very, she just had everything together. And so we became friends and I really looked up to her and her her husband and my now husband became friends and socialized. Uh, They were on a softball team together. And uh, probably a year into our friendship, she came into work one day and told me that she and her husband had separated. Things had been bad for a while. And it was so stunning because there hadn't been a clue. I mean, it was Mm -hmm. just... She had covered that so completely. And I just wondered what it was like to be that person and how you, how one would become like that person. That was just like in my mind for so many years. And that really kind of developed into the character of Lane Meckler, who has a very distinctive public and private life. And it gets her into trouble really in
5: the end. I was looking at the times and Roxanne Gray is now writing advice for the yes, I saw that I was like wait it's ask Roxy I know. you know I didn't even realize that when I thought that <laughs> oh if
6: if yeah that's really funny that I didn't even make that connection but I did read the column I thought it was
5: great well she's certainly controversial as yes. uh the columnist in your novel is yeah and I just I just thought it was funny because I love it when life imitates art. Yes. (laughs) That happens so often when, you know, you write something and then it's
6: like you wrote it into existence. How did you do that? But.
5: Well, how did you do the research for an advice columnist? How did that come to you? Was there, was the topic especially interesting for some reason to you or? Well, I mean,
6: I did write to an advice columnist when I was 13 years old. So I guess I've known I've kind of <laughs> been interested in advice columnist for a long time. I wrote to Dear Abby about a problem I was having in school, which I just think is really funny thinking about it. That that's my that
5: was my solution to a problem in school was to write to Dear Abby. <laughs> I, think, I think in those days, and when, when I don't want to I don't know your age, but when we were younger, I think there were fewer resources for kids, so that doesn't seem so, so odd to me. Uh, yeah. and also know?
6: my the par- like my parents and the parents of my friends were very hands off, so really it was you know we won't bother you if you don't bother us so <laughs> Anyway, so she I wrote to her in October. I remember this because it had to do with I was wearing a campaign button in class and my earth science teacher told me to take it off. And then the next day he wore a UFT button, which was the teacher's union button. And I didn't think that was fair. <laughs> so I, having, I got a letter back in August when the school year was over. And I was simultaneously angry that she waited so long to get back to me and incredibly thrilled that this famous person
5: had like, thought about my problem. So, hmm, yeah. So are there any myths about this topic that you discovered in the course of doing your research and sort of trying to inhabit the persona of an advice columnist? Well, I guess the biggest myth would be, again, going back to that
6: idea of public face versus private face, that when somebody has an advice column and they take on a voice of authority. We assume certain things about them in their life that might not be true because we're really only seeing a real, a tiny sliver. And even of the voice that a person would use writing an advice columnist might have nothing to do with the voice that would be their voice in their lives. And I also think from writing the advice column in the book, because there are several columns in the book and they start out kind of funny. And then as the as Lane Meckler, the main character becomes, gets a little bit more self-aware, they change and and are more poignant. I realized that if you really sound confident, you can really give all kinds of advice. You just sounds like you know. If you sound like you know, then you sound like you know.
5: (laughs) (laughs) What was the most difficult thing about, or interesting thing that you'd want people to know about what it was like to write this book and your experience with it? The truth about
6: all of my novels that I write is how little little I know in the beginning of where the novel will end up or where mm-hmm. the novel will be in the middle. I mean, I really, I write in the dark. There's, uh, you know, people have talked about different ways that they write and there's the image of the writer with the driving at night and only seeing as far as their headlights Yes, and, I yeah. think that's E.L. Doctorow. Oh, okay. So my headlights are the fog lights. I mean, I don't even, I don't have my brights on. I'm really seeing just the dust. <laughs> and I think that I am just really stubborn about my work. So even though I don't know where it's going to end up or know where it's going, I just keep going because I i won't give up. Well, I guess maybe you want to see where it's going to go. That's, that is the truth. And, and I've often thought that, Uh, my, My novels, I've been told sometimes, have some real surprises in them. And I often think that's because I was surprised. Because I kind of am laying in clues about a person. The way that you meet someone, you really don't know everything about them. And you see certain details and then you make certain assumptions, which are true or they're not true, is how I write. It's that same feeling of discovering as you go. Yes.
5: And I have to tell you that as I was reading your novel, I was very worried about Henry. Oh, yes. No, poor Henry. Where Henry is the daughter of the advice columnist. And he's not only dealing with her legacy of secrets, but he has some traumatic events in his life. Mm -hmm. And I loved Henry and I was worried about Henry. Right. Well, I will say that
6: one of the reasons that I decided there are, I think three chapters told from his voice uh, where we're in his head and yeah. i one of the reasons i made that decision was that i knew everyone would be worried about henry cuz i was worried about henry but i wanted no, i wanted people not to worry about things that were definitely at, off the table uh and would right. be bigger things to worry about so as long as we could be in henry's head and see that you know he's he's very worried and he's he's a kind of a vulnerable kid but he's okay and
5: he's going to be okay. He's going to be okay, everybody. (laughs) The part that I really loved is that he can read his mother like a book. Yeah. You know, because kids are such little empaths, especially at that age. I agree. And his relationship with her and the ways in which she adjusted to his difference Mm -hmm. really, I thought were really powerful. Thank you very much. I mean,
6: I do think kids many kids study their parents' faces, and that's why when we sometimes think we're protecting our kids by telling them something that's not exactly true, I think we put them in a tough spot because they can see when we're not being honest with them, but they don't have the power to figure, You know, they don't have the context to figure things out. Yeah, he really, I loved writing those parts of the book and I kind of really miss him now.
5: What are you curious about these days? And where do you think your writing is going to take you with that curiosity?
6: Well, those are two different questions because the thing that I'm most curious about, I guess, is just what will life be like in a year? I mean, Mm -hmm. what will it be like in six months and what will it be like in a year? I'm really curious about that. But I don't think that I can imagine yet how my writing is going to uh, meet that curiosity. And if I think about how long it took me from when I wondered about that managing editor to when I wrote a novel about a character who was like her, then I kind of think, okay, so it's going to be a long time from now till I have the means to take this curiosity and turn it into work of fiction. I'm sure there will be people writing quick books about, you know, what, what it's like can be like in a year, but I'm not that kind of writer.
5: Yeah, I'm sure that there will be a lot of books about this experience because it's been this quarantine and COVID experience because it's been a watershed for so many people.
6: Yeah. In the early days, there was a historian I heard very early on who said everyone should keep a COVID diary because it's for the historical, for historians in the future, just what life was like on a daily basis. And that was all I could write in the very beginning. And I really loved doing that. But as everything got more normalized, that kind of fell off. Do you
5: have a project that you're working on now that you can, I mean, you don't have to tell us all about it, but just a tiny hint or a clue? Well, I can just say that I had started
6: something before our lockdown and uh, it it was set in the 1970s. That's all I'll say only because of the way that I write. Anything I tell you now will be probably not true by the time I'm done. So that would be misleading, uh, but I'm I'm happy at the idea of going back to that because then I know that I don't have to deal with figuring out how to pick up in you know a novel I was in pro- progress on in, that's set in the current day because that would be really hard. Okay,
5: now here's a yes. signature question for you that okay. we're going to wrap up the interview with. Okay, tell me something surprising about you or something that is true that almost no one knows or agrees with you on so this is this is something that
6: not many people know and i you, i often forget it and i'm really laughing at i'm laughing at about it again now so when i was in high school and again i grew up in queens uh i had a summer job i have no idea how i got the summer job it was working at the department of consumer affairs and I worked on a project. I have no idea how this project was picked. Did I pick it? Did somebody say, let's give that teenager something to do to get her out of our hair? I don't know. But my project was to investigate why, not, not why, but if blurbs in advertisements, like for theaters, for plays and movies, were taken out of context. And Ooh. that was... Yeah, and so I investigated that, and I, I I'm hoping that I saved this letter, but I don't know where it is. I did get a letter from a critic, you know, dear Miss Gross, because that was my that's my was my name then. Uh, mm-hmm. Why are you people wasting your time doing that? <laughs> <laughs> and of course he was right <laughs> because that was a ridiculous waste of time. The Department of Consumer Affairs has many more important things to do, but. And I think about that now as I live in the world of blurbs or other people asking me to blurb their books and so on, that
5: there could be some teenager investigating whether excerpts of the blurbs are accurate. Well, speaking as a librarian, I think that whoever's doing that work is sleeping on the on the job. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But that is a fun, that is a fun fact about you. Yeah. <laughs> and Nancy, thank you so much for joining us for this interview. Again, this is, Nancy Starr and her novel is Rules for Moving and it's available curbside delivery in Montclair at Watchung Booksellers and online everywhere. We thank you so much. We're proud to have you as a local author. Ariel, this has been so much fun and it's really lovely to
6: meet you uh, this way. Okay, take care. You too.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Check Us Out, the Montclair Public Library podcast. We hope you've learned something about what the library is offering and how you can use your library card to access our resources. Even though we're closed, we're still doing our best to provide services and resources. So please visit us at MontclairLibrary.org to learn more or to give us your suggestions or comments. We look forward to hearing from you and hope to be open real soon. Thank you so much.